When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Writing a good song is just part of the magic of making a hit. When a band is working on a song in the studio, there's an alchemy to getting something just right. And sometimes, the magic fairy dust comes from a guest musician sitting in or stepping up. In this episode, we talk about who did it best. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the best studio collaboration of all time? That's the age-old question. All right, Clint, start us off. Well, I love what you just said in the intro. It it the the alchemy of the studio is so different than writing because the whole point of the recording process is to give the absolute most perfect version of that thing you created at that time. Right. So, bringing in the ace is an interesting concept. So, here we go. First one and maybe the greatest of all time. I don't know. I'm just going to start with Eric Clapton on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Mm. So, George Harrison wrote the song. The band recorded it. Harrison didn't like the original version. And the rest of the guys didn't really think it was that great, which is amazing, right? They didn't get the song, apparently, at first. So Harrison decided, let's record it again. So they went back into the studio and recorded it. And on the 28th take, wow, they nailed it. Uh, the initial live backing track, it was Harrison on acoustic and guide vocals. One, two, three, four. John Lennon on electric. <laughs> Paul McCartney on piano and Ringo Starr on drums. And then Harrison later overdubbed the double track lead vocal. That's sleeping while my guitar gently weeps. But the masterstroke, the genius, was bringing in his good friend Eric Clapton to overdub the lead guitar, which was recorded on a single track, I believe one take, with Harrison's organ accompaniment at the same time, which mm. is pretty cool. You had to nail it every time. like, or And if you didn't, you started over. So it's, a, it's such a funny way that life has changed. The musicians of your were just... Better, better right they they had to be better yeah and not everyone could record and that was just it so george asks eric to play on it and clapton his initial response is like no way people don't play on beatles records right because at the time the only musicians other than the beatles that were playing on beatles records were like french horn players right and string like players session players yeah. not featured artists right in the way that eric clapton was going to be like we don't know anybody's name right we do but like the general public didn't know a single name who's playing that piccolo trumpet right or right penny lane is in my ears and in my eyes but clapton was a big deal at this point clapton as god was already written on subway walls yeah, yeah. george is like who cares so what yeah this is my song and screw those other guys um so he agrees to play 
but he wanted it to be, you know, a beetle thing. That's quote unquote beetle uh, hmm. So what Harrison did was took the track, the guitar track, and the organ and used this thing called artificial double tracking, which is like where it gives it a wobble. So if you listen to it, it's got this wobbly effect to the electric guitar, which is pretty cool. The best part of that collaboration, the reason why I think it's so high in the running, is because what he plays is exactly what the song is talking about. Somehow he's mimicking a weeping like the way his his vibrato is is exactly what the song wants. And Harrison couldn't do it. No offense, George, but Harrison's vibrato wasn't like that. Clapton has that real smooth and it's actually really hard to play. I mean, I've played this song a couple times, and it's really hard to get that thing in the song. What is it that makes Clapton's playing so signature? What really gets me, and I didn't get Clapton until I saw him live. What makes Clapton so good, in my opinion? When I saw him live, he didn't hit a wrong note for two and a half hours. He didn't blow my mind in terms of speed or technical tapping or anything like that he doesn't you know go outside of what he does which is pentatonic blues licks his whole thing is perfection each time we've talked about this solo let's listen to the solo now yeah See what I mean? It's got that weepy quality, and I, I wonder who, whose idea that was. Hmm. Who was like, make it weep, Eric? Or was it just something that he just felt right. and played? Well, since we're on the topic of this song, what's interesting is that there's another version of the song oh. that has gone viral. Yes. And it's when Prince is sitting in with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Jeff Lynne and Danny Harrison. Oh, yeah. When George Harrison was being inducted, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah. they're playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps. At one point, Prince comes on stage. Yeah, like at the end. like, And Tom Petty gives him a nod to start playing the solo. He goes on to play the most incredible <laughs> guitar solo. Like, honestly top five guitar solo I've ever heard. Yeah. And in fact, he keeps going. Like, he, I'm sure his 12 bars or whatever it was had, had come up. You can see Tom Petty, like, signaling to the band, let's keep going. Let's, yeah. let's let him keep going. And he keeps shredding. Yeah. And even he's not like shredding, shredding. He's still playing like tastefully. Oh, it's because the song, because he's coming. He heard Clapton. He, you know, he knows what to do. First of all, the song just lends itself to a ripping guitar solo. It's one of the most fun progressions to play. It's just, it's really endless possibilities. So. Play the progression. That's the standard tuning, I think, but it might not. So it's A minor. A minor over G. And then A minor over F sharp. And then A minor over F. So you get the flat six and the major six, 
which in terms of soloing, you get both of the sixes, which is, you gotta know when to use which. Or what makes it genius is, or you can just play a minor pentatonic. That's why it's the best. Because not only can a, can a ripping technical nerd guitar play something like masterful following the changes, but so can Ed next door when right. he jams out. You know, he can just rip one as well, yeah. playing his five note scale. You know, that's why it's such a beautiful progression. One last note on the Prince solo that night. At the end, he finishes, he throws his guitar up in the air and he walks off stage. The guitar doesn't come down. <laughs> Wait, what? Are you serious? No one knows what happened to that guitar. He throws it up. Heaven. He, the, the, <laughs> the, this camera catches the guitar going up in the air. The cameras don't show the guitar coming down. We gotta watch wow. it. We gotta watch it. <laughs> Wait, is that true? Yes. That's incredible. We gotta watch it. Alright, watch this. Watch, watch. Throws his guitar up. Doesn't come down. What? <laughs> and he doesn't throw it like he doesn't throw it like 80 feet in the air no. where a stagehand could get it. Yeah. He just like tosses it up. So Google what? this, watch it on YouTube. It's one of the most remarkable moments of showmanship that is it's it's like biblical it's like what happened to the guitar it's incredible <laughs> i knew that prince was a great guitar player there are moments in his career where his musical genius was on display i remember the super bowl mm -hmm. was incredible oh my god one of the best actually there's something about those three and a half minutes of him soloing it shows you what his genius was right there's no studio magic there's no it's just a man on his guitar, and it's weeping. I've got one. Go. How about Mary Clayton, who appeared in the Rolling Stones classic, Gimme Shelter? For anyone interested in Mary's story, it's featured in a great music documentary called 20 Feet from Stardom. Do you remember this? Yeah, it's so cool. For all of the things that Mary Clayton did, she may be most known for her searing vocal on Gimme Shelter, singing Rape Murder. Let's listen. Before Mary Clayton walked into a late night recording session with the Rolling Stones in 1969, she had already had a really interesting career. She was born in New Orleans on Christmas Day, which is why her name is Mary, spelt M-E-R-R-Y. Oh, wow. Her father was a preacher, just like Aretha's was, like Nina Simone's was, Sam Cooke's father, like the Pointer Sisters. There's an interesting tradition of great soul gospel singers with that heritage. So when her family moves to Los Angeles, she starts singing in music groups. And in 1962, at the age of 14, she starts backing the pop star Bobby Darin. The first song she sings with Darin is a duet called Who Can I Count On? Who can I count on if I can't count on you? I've never counted on you making me blue. They say you're running around with somebody new. Now who can I count on if I can't count on you? I don't know about you, but I didn't sing like that when I was 14 years old. Bobby Darren is so taken with her talent that he tried to sign her to a recording contract that day. Mary's mother set some ground rules. When you pick her up from school, she has to take a nap so that she can be refreshed. And then you have to correct her homework. And Bobby Darren agreed. <laughs> Following her work with Bobby Darren, she reconnects with a family friend, the keyboardist 
and future Beatles collaborator Billy Preston, hmm. who's playing organ in Ray Charles's band. Billy invites Clayton in for a rehearsal, and she walked out of the rehearsal with a contract for her parents to sign to join the Ray Letts, the group of Ray Charles's female backup singers. <laughs> Again, Clayton's mom has some demands. She tells Ray Charles she will come back here the way she left. And if she doesn't, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> it was on this tour that she falls in love with Curtis Amy, Ray Charles's musical director. And they got married and were married for 32 years until his death in 2002. Back to Gimme Shelter. Here's a clip from the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom, where Mary describes getting the call. So it was like very late at night. And I was very, you know, a little pregnant. Had curlers and the whole thing in my head, getting ready to go to bed. And we got a call, Mary. It's a group of guys in town called Rolling, the Rolling Somebodies. And they're from England, and they need somebody that will sing with them. They picked me up with silk pajamas on, <laughs> a mink coat, and a Chanel scarf on my head. We said it would be wonderful if a woman sang this part about that I'd written about rape, murder, and all this. It was in the middle of the night, and and, and we thought well, we would love to have a woman sing this part. I didn't know her, and from Adam. Then she turned up in a curler. She was in bed, and she got out of bed. And you know, it was a kind of raunchy part to sing. I said, "What? Rape, murder? It's just a shot away." I started to sing, oh, children, it's a shot away, it's a shot away, with Mick. She sings the lyrics right along me, and with a lot of personality, which is what was needed. I said, you want to do another one? I said, sure, I'll do another one. I mean, she just did it, like, a couple of times, you know. So I said to myself, mm-hmm. I'm going to do another one. I'm going to blow them out of this room. <laughs> I went in again, and I did that pass on the, uh, the part that says, uh, Ray murder, just a shot away. So I had to go up another octave. Yeah. Ray murder, it's just a shot away. It's just a shot away. things at sort of two in the morning and then you come in the next day and you go, bloody hell, that's good. Yeah. I don't hear a hand clap. <laughs> There's a very sad footnote to the story. The day after the session with the Rolling Stones, Mary Clayton suffered a miscarriage and she attributes it to the strain she put on her body to hit the high peaks. She says, we lost a little girl and it took me years and years and years to get over that. You had all the success with Gimme Shelter and you had the heartbreak within this song. For years, she couldn't listen to Gimme Shelter despite the fact that it's the first thing mentioned in any bio written of her. Gimme Shelter was one of many iconic songs that feature her immaculate vocals. She sings on Sweet Home Alabama. Whoa. The Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And more recently on the Coldplay single, Adventure of a Lifetime. She also sang with Joe Cocker, with Carole King, Linda Ronstadt, Neil Young. 
That's an incredible vocal, though, on Gimme Shelter. It's incredible, and the, it's just heartbreaking. It's like, how could you ever listen to that? I oh, know. God, just... And she was in bed, right? Like, curlers in her hair. She just was like... In, yeah. Oh, my God. So that's that's a good one. My next one? Yeah. Dwayne Allman on Wilson Pickett's Hey Jude. Oh. This is one of the earliest Dwayne Allman session moments. So he, you know, he's the founder of the Allman Brothers Band with his brother Greg. And this was one of his first sideman gigs. And so it was done with the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. Famous studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where a lot of iconic records of the 60s were recorded, especially for artists that were on Atlantic Records. Jimmy Johnson actually later credits Allman on this record with beginning Southern Rock. And so Wilson Pickett came to Muscle Shoals. So they record Hey Jude. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her in your heart. Then you can start to make it better. And it's a great cover because it's not the same and it's very soulful. We've talked about this before, this idea of what makes a good cover. And it's either a completely new take on a song or redoing it. And you're right, Wilson Pickett made it a Wilson Pickett song. Yeah, totally. That's the that's the genius of it. And his guitar work on this track is credited as what first drew Eric Clapton to him, who, two years later, would invite Allman to join him as part of Derek and the Dominoes. So Clapton hears this. Here's Clapton again. Clapton hears this. He's like, I've got to play with that bloke. And at the end, Dwayne takes just a ripping guitar solo. And you can hear Dwayne in there, right? It's like the beginning of the Almond Brothers. I mean, well, we talked about Clapton, what made Clapton's signature sound. How would you characterize Dwayne Almond's sound? It's an amp turned up real loud, and it breaks up. Um, I feel like Dwayne has more modal skill than Clapton in terms of He's not just playing pentatonic, he's playing the major scale. He understands guitar theory. Not that Clapton doesn't understand it, but Clapton comes from a, pretty much a straight blues place. And then Dwayne became maybe better known as a slide guitar player. Yeah, yeah, he is one of the original popular slide guitarists. You know, there's other guys that he got it from, obviously, from old blues guys, but uh, he's definitely popularized. Okay, so back to Wilson Pickett's Hey Jude. So Jerry Wexler, he works for Atlantic Records at this point. Wexler was like, sees this go down. He's like, I want that guy. So they buy out his contract. And that's the beginning of Dwayne's session musician career. But think of that. In one song, he starts his own career as a session guitarist, which is a, you know, would be great. But also is credited with starting Southern Rock. And also... Catches the attention of Eric, Eric Clapton. Clapton. <laughs> In one track, his whole life pretty much changed. 
That is incredible. So that's a good that's a good for high in the running. That's best a collaboration good too. Studio collaboration. All right, Clint, we've talked about Stevie Wonder a few times on this podcast. When you think of Stevie, what do you think of? I think of Clav. I think of little Stevie Wonder singing his tail off. Let me tell you about a girl I know. She's my baby and she lives next door. In a lot of ways, his most iconic guest performances came as a harmonica player. Right. I play the harmonica, but I play a blues harmonica or a common diatonic harmonica, which literally anyone with the ability to blow and suck air <laughs> can play. See Alanis Morissette. Stevie plays something called the chromatic harmonica. I actually don't know anyone else who plays that instrument. And when you hear him playing it, you know it's Stevie. Here he is talking about how he came to play that instrument. The harmonica for me is like a saxophone, my small saxophone. I would listen to different players uh, playing sax. I would say, I love the way that sounds. When my uncle gave me a harmonica, the chromatic harmonica, I said, wow, I like it because I can have it right here with me and I can play, you know, and bend the notes a little bit. As much you can do the same with a blues harmonica, but the difference is you have, you know, complete control over flats and sharps and all that. And so it's like my little saxophone. Now there's harmonica and then there's Stevie harmonica. For example, there's John Popper from Blues Traveler. He's amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, crazy good. But when they opened for the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger allegedly said, There's too many notes. <laughs> Speaking of Mick Jagger, there's the blues harmonica that, for example, he plays with the Rolling Stones. Here he is playing it on Midnight Ramble. There's harmonica Bob Dylan style, like here he is playing in Blowing in the Wind. And we can't forget one of our favorites, Huey Lewis. Oh man, that guy can play. Here he is playing in concert. I had a harmonica duel with Huey Lewis one time. Have I told you this story? So we were playing at a small club in the Bay Area called Sweetwater. And he had come to see the band that I was in at the time around 2003, 2004. And we played Feeling All Right, and we invited him up to sing on it. And I made the mistake of pulling out my harmonica. He had come with a couple harmonicas. So I said, let's ah, just trade off some harmonica licks. <laughs> let's just say, for the record, he is a much better <laughs> harmonica player than I am. Is there a clip of this anywhere? 
There's a photo. There's a photo. Yeah, but we don't have. Oh, I would love to hear it. This was before like people had iPhones, right? Right. right, like, right otherwise, right. It, there would be. Yeah. Point is, all those guys play the blues harmonica. If you've ever picked up a harmonica, that's probably the kind you've picked up. But again, Stevie plays the chromatic harmonica. Let's play a few examples of him sitting in as a studio collaborator on other tracks. In episode 39, we talked about Elton John and his lyricist Bernie Taupin, and we mentioned one of their hits from the 1980s. I guess that's why they call it the blues. It features that signature Stevie harmonica. Remember the 1984 hit from Shaka Khan, I Feel For You? Oh, yeah. Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan. Let me rock it, that's all I want to do. Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan. Let me rock it, let me feel for you. Shaka Khan, what you So this song was written by Prince, but Shaka Khan had a big hit with it. The song won two Grammys. Prince won one of those for songwriter, and she won for best female R&B performance. And here's Stevie on harmonica. The next example is from James Taylor's 1997 album, Hourglass. I actually love this album. It might be my favorite James Taylor album. Hmm. The third single features that classic Stevie sound. The song is called Little More Time With You. By the way, James Taylor won the Grammy for this album, so maybe ask Stevie to play harmonica on your album and you'll win a Grammy. New Sweet Remains record coming. One more example of Stevie's incredible chromatic harmonica playing. From Sting's album from 1999, Brand New Day, the title track won the Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance in 2000, and it features the incredible Stevie on harmonica. Here's Sting talking about having one of his heroes play on that song. Well, Stevie Wonder, you know, is one of my idols, always has been. And uh, someone whose records I cherish, someone whose records I learnt to play, songs I learnt to play. One of my teachers, if you like, although he'd never met me. Then to meet someone like that who then treats you as a, as a peer, if you like, is one, a great privilege. And then for them to agree to appear on your record for me it was the highest honor you know stevie wonder to me is a, a sort of higher being i'm cheating a little bit because i'm there's a bunch of examples there but stevie in the studio playing on your song it's a big help it's a big help yeah we should work on that we should work on you that you think he still does it stevie if you're listening give us a ring give us a ring we'd love to have you play harmonica we got a great track for you that brand new day is I just love that record by Sting. Me too. And that it that song in particular is completely made by the harmonica. All right, I'm gonna go on to the next one. Are you ready for this one? Yes. You may laugh, but Blaze of Glory by John Bon Jovi. Take me now, but don't you 
my favorite song of all time. I liked it, though. Liked it. But here's the story. So, Emilio Estevez requested for Young Guns 2 to use Wanted Dead or Alive. John Bon Jovi was like, I don't think the lyrics are right. It's, it's about a guitar slinging guy, and you know, it just wasn't right. So he's he said he would write a new song. So he pens Blaze of Glory, which ended up being a massive hit. And Bon Jovi plays it all the time, the band. And most people think it's a Bon, bon Jovi, Jovi song, song but, but it's it not. was not. It was a solo John Bon Jovi song. His only solo record, I believe. So he wrote the song with lyrics that are more typical for the Western Young Guns 2, which was an incredible movie, by the way, side note. So the reason I love this is because Jeff Beck plays the guitar solo. Now, let's just talk about who is in this band for a second. On vocals and acoustic guitar, John Bon Jovi. On lead and slide guitars, Jeff Beck. On the Hammond organ... Ben Montench from, from the Heartbreakers. Heartbreakers. On the bass, Randy Jackson from American Idol and about a million other sessions. It's definitely a no for me, dog. And on drums, Kenny Arnoff. So that band comes together to record. Now let's listen to this guitar solo. Jeff Beck, he's such an interesting guitar player. Have you ever seen him play? Have you ever seen that that Ronnie Scott's live show that he put on? No. So he plays with his fingers and a whammy bar, and he's touching it at all times. And so there's this floating sense because he at any point can just boing, boing. So, and he's so nimble and he plays with his fingers and he's constantly working this whammy bar. So the whammy bar for those of you who aren't guitar players is like a is like a bar that sticks out of the bottom of the of the base of the guitar. Base like, of the guitar and if the guitar player moves it, it stretches the strings a little yeah, bit. Yeah, people do it in super creative ways and Jeff Beck is just unbelievable to watch huh. because you've never seen anything like it before he's so nuanced and so his touch is so amazing let's play a clip from the ronnie scott's thing because it's really fascinating if you just to listen to you're like how is he doing that See what I mean? It's like, without seeing it, you can't wrap your head around how he's making a guitar sound like that. So, anyway, Jeff Beck on Blaze of Glory by Bon Jovi with this kick-ass band is gotta be one of the greatest. I think this was a top 10 hit. And interesting collab, right? What year was this? Blaze. Probably like... Of Glory. 1990. Okay, 1990. So you and I have talked about like the music that came out in the sweet spot of our adolescence mm-hmm. and teenage years. <laughs> like, if we were to watch Young Guns two now, would we like it as much? I don't know. But I don't know. In 1990, it was 
yeah. incredible. And it had like every star at the right. time. Like it was like a star studded right. there. Lou Philip Diamond yeah. or Diamond Kiefer Sutherland, right? right? Lou Philip Diamond. Lou Philip Diamond. Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond, Phillip. Lou Diamond Phillips. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Oh, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Aren't they all related somehow? Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez are brothers. And Kiefer Sutherland's like their cousin or something? I don't that's think so. totally made up. That's completely <laughs> made up. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> okay, give me another one. You and I love the Counting Crows. Adam Duras had a critical guest appearance on a song by Bob Dylan's son, Jacob Dylan, on the Wallflowers tune, Sixth Avenue Heartache. Remember this one? Yes, that's, wait, that's Adam Duras? Jacob Dylan says this was the first real song that he ever wrote when he was 18. When his band was making their debut album, the producer, T-Bone Burnett, who, by the way, produced August and Everything after that first Counting Crows record, had an idea for a slide guitar part. So he called up Mike Campbell, the guitarist in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the co-writer of many of those great Tom Petty tracks. That's Mike Campbell?! Mike what? Campbell had the tape of the track in his home studio and he listened over and over and over and he had this idea for like a George Harrison type of slide guitar part. When the song became a hit, Campbell said that he ran into George Harrison so Mike Campbell says, he looked at me and goes, you know, I heard that record on the radio. You're doing me now. <laughs> Incredible. Jacob had gotten to know Adam Duritz in the early 90s when Duritz was working as a bartender at the Viper Room. So they call Adam Duritz in, and they invite him to sing. Mike Campbell's slide guitar part and Adam Duritz's vocals. That's a great studio collaboration. Now, what I thought you were going to say when you brought up Adam Duritz was the Big Yellow Taxi cover featuring Vanessa Carlton. Oh, that's a good one. I have one more. Give me one more. Do you remember the song Tempted by Squeeze? Oh, yeah. I love this song. It's from 1981. And I spent a month or so as the opening act for Glenn Tilbrook, who was in Squeeze. And it was a massive education in professionalism. And I'll give you an example. We were playing somewhere in Florida, and there was a very small turnout. Like, I'm talking 9 to 12 people in the audience. And that could make a former pop star like Glenn Tilbrook feel really depressed. Mm -hmm. But he came down into the audience and performed a really intimate set for the people that were there. Like no electronics, just like came down and... I remember watching that and thinking, this is how you treat an audience. Like these people came to see a show. And rather than 
be grumpy about the 200 people that didn't come. He was going to give the people who did come an incredible experience. Amazing. Did he play Tempted? He did. There's no other tempted by the Not an easy song. No. Holy moly. Difficult song to sing and, and play. And play. Yeah, lots of changes. So back to the song. Okay. Elvis Costello produced this song. What? And he makes an appearance in the second verse with a really low vocal. The baggage carousel. The people keep on grabbing. That's, oh, that's Elvis Costello. I said it's no occasion. It's no story He knew it was going to be a hit, and he was like, I'm going to get, get my cookies on this. The question is, how can the guy that wrote Tempted by the Fruit of Another only have 9 to 12 people? the clock, by the seduction. Real quick, yeah. one of my favorites of all time, we already talked about John Popper. Yeah. But John Popper playing on Dave Matthews' band, What Would You Say, from the 1994 Under the Table and Dreaming album. That song peaked at number nine on the mainstream top 40 chart, which as a Dave Matthews band, like that, it was like their first real mainstream hit. We talked about John Popper earlier, and we talked about Stevie Wonder's like iconic signature harmonica playing. You can tell a John Popper harmonica solo. The first blow. You just produced the new album for the band Twiddle. Yeah. And one of the songs on that album, John Popper is a featured guest yep. soloist. Which was cool being a John Popper fan. <laughs> But back to the Dave Matthews band. Story goes that Dave went to the bathroom and Popper did the take in one pass. When Dave got back, he's like, wait, you're done already? That's a great one. What would you say, John Popper, on the Dave Matthews Band? Another one. I dug deep for this one because I know you love the Paul Simon. Yes. Are you familiar with his sixth studio album called Hearts and Bones? Yes. The track Allergies? Do you know who's playing guitar on that? I didn't. Al Demiola. Now, Al Demiola is like flamenco shredder jazz heady guitar player and when you let's just listen to the clip I can't breathe I personally think that comes out of nowhere, and I don't understand why they right. use that. Like, was he just happened to be in the studio next yeah, door? And, and was like, like, hey, why don't you come play on something? Come right. all over this track. No, it. But the so he just plays a solo, and it's the most fastest, ridiculous solo on any Paul Simon album ever. Yeah. At what point were they like, yes, that was the take? <laughs> How many lines of coke did he do before <laughs> oh, he took that solo? <laughs> it's so out of place. So here's an example of a sit-in, a guest appearance that, in, for my money, makes you scratch your head. Yeah, and undervalues the song. Like, it takes the song down. No offense, Al. I mean, you're a shredder, but that album 
was not a, a success for Paul Simon, but there were things that he was starting to discover in music and in rhythm that ultimately led him to Graceland, right. which was the next record. Right. Mountain passes slipping into stones, hearts and bones. Which is a far cry from allergies. No offense. <laughs> Sorry. When you talk about studio collaboration, think about Ladysmith Black Mombaza yeah. from that next record. Oh, my Lord. And all the musicians from South Africa that were on the record. Ended up being his band for years and years. Diamonds on the soles of her shoes. case study in incredible studio collaboration definitely yeah okay eddie van halen on beat it just an incredible sit-in so the story goes that quincy jones calls up eddie van halen and asks him to play on a michael jackson record and eddie was like thought it was a prank call he was like who is this yeah who is this so finally gets in the studio does it couple takes this has turned into one of the most iconic solos that no one else can play right right like i tried to learn this solo and i don't I can't play this way. It's tapping. It's like whammy. It's all the things. It's all the Eddie. All those tricks. Yeah, all the tricks. That's a big one. Eddie Van Halen on Beat It. Here's the thing. There are so many incredible studio collaborations that we've missed. We hope you will take your job as the listener very seriously and let us know what we missed because we'll come back for part two. Yeah, I mean, there's a, so many more. But I think my favorite, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. What's your favorite? It's cheating, but it's anything that Stevie Wonder plays harmonica on. Okay. I think did we, we do it? I think we did. I think we did it. <laughs> I think we did. I mean, we, we did it. All right. We hope you had a good time, as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old age question. question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. <laughs>